0: Good morning everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It's great to be back with you after a couple of weeks off of our Facebook Bible Studies. We have decided to change the day. So we are doing Facebook Bible Studies on Wednesdays at 10:30, and we're going to be doing them now once a week going forward uh, as church is reopening and as life is reopening. Uh, my job is changing and getting more busy. So uh, we're going to do these once a week, and my dog here is on the ground, and he's kind of groaning at me, like, "Hey, be quiet." Too bad, Waylon. Uh, so, we are also starting a new book of the Bible today. We are going to study First Timothy chapter one, and we'll study First Timothy uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, so, a little background on First Timothy. First Timothy uh, was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, kind of after the story of the book of Acts ends. So the, in the at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is imprisoned by the Romans. And then we believe he was let go. And so this was written then. And so after his release, Paul goes to the city of Ephesus and he sees that it's become a place of false teaching. There's a false teachers everywhere. And he's like, this is not good. And so he leaves Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus, as his own personal representative and he knows he has a difficult job as he is timothy is there to kind of stop this false teaching and so he writes this letter uh to equip and encourage and to help him as he is uh, left there to battle these false teachers so that's where um that's where the, uh, the, the background behind 1 Timothy. So it's a letter from Paul to Timothy as Timothy is there going against uh, false teachers. So uh, so glad you're with me today as we begin this. Hope you're doing well. Have missed doing these with you and uh, look forward to going through 1 Timothy with you. So, okay, here we go. Let's jump right in. Verses 1 and 2. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ our hope, To Timothy, my loyal child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, So interesting, interesting. Paul refers to Jesus uh, as our Savior, refers to God as our Savior, and Jesus as our hope. So this is one of Paul's later letters, and he did not refer to Jesus as the Savior or hope in the earlier letters, it's just not the way Paul that understood who God was and who Jesus was. Uh, and so this interesting description of Jesus, or God as Savior, has an Old Testament background. The idea that God is our Savior comes from the Old Testament. It's, been a, it's an idea that's near and dear to Israel since the days of Moses. You know, Psalm 24, 5 says, They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Understand that God is our savior and that Jesus is our hope, right? I love that image that God is our savior and Jesus is our hope. And so, you know, when we, when we think about what is God to you, who is God to you? How do you just, dist- what is God? What is the purpose of God in your life, right? It, it, how do you say God is our what? right? I think most people, most people think of God as this judge, this vindictive judge who's ready to smite, who's ready to punish, who's ready to do whatever, right? The, the, this is the image of God is our judge, right? God is our eternal smiter. Or, or on the flip side, maybe you have a better view of God, but maybe it's more like my daughter and I, we, we, and, and my wife, we just got back from Disney World, and when we got back, we wanted to watch Aladdin, Aladdin, the movie. Right. And and so Aladdin, you know, I hate to give away the ending, but uh, it's been out for 30 some years now or whatever. But, you know, it's he loves he rubs the lamp and the genie comes out and whatever you wish. And so we might have this image of God as our genie, our genie who's there waiting for us to tell God what our wishes are. And Caroline, who's sitting right here, wanted to let you know that when we were at Disney World, the Aladdin Ride was her favorite. She did it a couple times because it had a really short line, but it was fun too. And the magic carpet went high. That's what she wants you all to know. The magic carpet went high. so um, but so we have this image of God as you know this vindictive judge or this genie who's there to answer our every requests. And you know, for Paul, it's God is our savior and our hope, right? How do you describe God? Our savior and our hope. And I think it's a wonderful way to describe God and something for us to think about. How do we describe God in our life? What does God do? What does God do for us? Is God a judge, a genie? Was God a say our savior? Our hope? Wayland's giving me his answer right now, too. <laughs> Okay, let's jump, uh, jump into the next two verses, verses three and four. Paul writes, I urge you, as I did when I was on my way to Macedonia, to remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach any different doctrine and not to occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies that promote speculations rather than the divine training that is known by faith myths and endless genealogies that promote speculations rather than the divine training that is known by faith myths and and so many in the ancient world enjoyed creating tales about the foundation of cities and families and peoples and and they they just created myths and they created genealogies and they connected people back to gods. They connected people back to Zeus. They connected people. They tried to connect the important people of the day with important people of the past, right? Through genealogies. And so Paul says, it's a waste of time. Don't do that. And don't, don't go into these myths where people are just creating stuff and speculating stuff and trying to come up with answers to questions that they don't know, and so they try to come up with their own answers. Don't waste your time with that. What's interesting What's interesting is that... Paul writes this prior to the writing of the Gospels, right? Paul's lifespan happened between Jesus's crucifixion and basically the writing of the Gospels in like 66 AD, which is probably like, you know, a 30 year span. That's Paul's lifespan. And so Paul's writing his letters basically prior to those are being written. And what's interesting is that how does Matthew and Luke start? with genealogies, right? Matthew connects Jesus back to King David and Luke connects Jesus all the way back to Adam. And if you look through the genealogy in Luke, it's long, but you have to think, I mean, there had to be a lot more people in between Jesus and Adam. I mean, there's, I mean obviously we have, you know, biblical and so-and-so begot so-and-so. And so we know, you know, kind of this connection of where people came from but then there's there's this intertestamental period where it's like we don't we don't know what happened for those 400 500 years right and so uh it, it but is it important are these genealogies important well well to connect jesus to david it, it, it's important it, it it helps with prophecies old testament prophecies to connect jesus all the way back to adam is that important i don't know it might be important for you it might be impor- but 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 i think what paul is saying is as we proclaim who Jesus is, it's not about genealogies. It's about Jesus being our hope, Jesus being our Savior, Jesus being Lord. Right? That's what's important. That's what we need to proclaim. So the genealogies, even if true, it's not that it's not. We're not. I'm not saying that they're not true. I'm saying they're not as important as the story of who Jesus is. Uh, and so these myths, stay away from the myths. Right? Promote. Uh, promote the divine training you have that is known by faith that's what we're called to proclaim okay then he's going to build on that verses six and seven some people have deviated from these and turned to meaningless talk desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make assertions (laughs) tell us what you really think paul that some people desire to be teachers of the law, but they don't understand what they are saying or the things about which they are making assertions. They're false teachers. And the major opponent in Christianity at this time was Gnosticism. And so Paul is writing about people who are teaching without understanding. They're just making, they're speculating, they're coming up with things, they're just pulling stuff out of the air and saying that this is true, that this is true. And so Gnostics. They wanted to answer big questions, right? I mean, we've all we all have big questions. Big questions are part of faith. And and their big questions are where did God where did the world come from? And if God is good, why is there evil in the world? If God is good, why is there evil in the world? It's it's a question that we all struggle with. It's a question it's not a new question. And so they came up with an answer. They came up with an answer. So this is what they said. Matter existed before creation. That matter was imperfect. That matter was evil. And that is what the universe was created with. The universe was created with matter that was evil, that is evil. There's a problem with that. The problem is then they're saying creation is an evil thing by nature, because creation is created with evil stuff. You know, when when, when God took the dust from the ground and created Adam, the dust was evil. And so by nature then Adam was going to be evil. Okay, problem then. We are created by God. Is God going to create us evil? Is God going to create something that is evil? Their answer. Well, since God is good, God could not touch that which is evil. And so God didn't actually create us. A representative from God created us. A representative from God created the world and created us. So, the body then is evil, but the soul the soul is from God and the soul is not. And so there's two things that you can do here. There's two things you would say. You, would, you could say that, well, you just have to live a life of perfection. Or you say, well, it doesn't matter, matter what the body does because the body is of no importance to God. The soul is what was important. So the body could do whatever it wanted to do. Well, in the Apostles' Creed... The reason we have these creeds, many of them, is they were written against, to counter-argue against certain heresies. And so we have this uh, Apostles' Creed says that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The reason that's in there is to say to Gnostics, no, 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 no. What you do is important, the body is important. The body was created by God. The body is good because it was created by God. The sinfulness is not good, but the body itself is not evil because it was created by God in the image of God. And so we believe in the resurrection of the body. While Gnostics only believe in the resurrection of the soul for salvation, we believe in the bodily resurrection. Uh, and so Paul is writing you know, to, to Timothy to, to stick with your training. Don't create stuff up, uh, don't make stuff up. Don't, 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 don't try to be smarter than you are. Don't try to come up with stuff and say, "Well, I guess that makes sense. that's what we're going to go with." right? Go with what the scriptures say. Go with what you know. Go with the training that you have. Um, and, and so that's the first part of uh, the chapter. Okay, so we will go to verses twelve and four, twelve through 14. Uh, Paul writes, I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a prosecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So uh, three verses of Paul explaining why he's thankful to Jesus, right? he's thankful because Jesus chose him because Jesus strengthened him who the lord who has strengthened me you know i think it's important important that we know that paul followed paul followed jesus because jesus chose him because jesus chose paul not because paul chose jesus jesus chose paul Jesus chose to forgive Paul, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Jesus chose to forgive Paul before Paul asked for it. Before Paul realized that what he was doing was the wrong thing, Jesus chose to forgive. Jesus chose to show grace. And so Paul is thankful for that. And so the grace flowed first. The grace flowed when Jesus chose Paul. The grace flowed when Jesus forgave Paul, even before Paul recognized that what he was doing was the wrong thing. And then the faith follows that. The faith followed the grace. The grace came first, um, and then Jesus appointed him, He says, "But I, uh, even though I, he, and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a prosecutor and a man of violence." Jesus appointed him, the enemy of Christ became the ambassador for Christ. Right. The enemy became the one who went around and proclaimed the good news. And so, you know, it, Paul is thankful for the grace and thankful for the strength and thankful for uh, that, that Jesus chose him and appointed him and gave him this call to go and become the proclaimer of the good news, the apostle to go and uh, the missionary. Right. So, when, you know, what, what are we thankful to God for? I think it's an important question. Can we answer that? What are we thankful to God for? I mean, we're thankful for forgiveness because we screw up and we need forgiveness. I'm thankful for that. Thankful for the gift of eternal life for heaven, right? Thankful for the the promise of eternal life. Thankful for that. That's great news. I love it. But what else? What else are we thankful for? You know, Jesus didn't come and die and do all this stuff just so that we go to heaven. You know, there's part, how does Jesus impact our life today? What are we thankful for Jesus doing for us today? You know, the, I'm grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me. In what ways does God strengthen us? In what ways have we been strengthened by God for, for life in this difficult time and in this difficult you know, place? Um, but I also think we need to understand that just as Paul was appointed to his service, we have been appointed to serving Christ through the waters of baptism. We've made promises. Promises were made on our behalf that we are going to let our light so shine before others. Right? So we have been appointed to serve God, to serve Jesus in the world. And you know, how, how do we serve God? What opportunities, you know, how, how do we use our gifts, the things that we're good at, the things that God has given, the the ways that God has gifted us to serve God and to serve others, you know? And is that something that we're thankful for? What else are we thankful for? Patty says she's thankful for God's grace. Amen. Amen. Um, what else can we be thankful? You know, Take an inventory of your life and see where God is and see what it is that uh, we can be thankful for because gratitude is an important part of faith, right? Understanding who God is, is leads us to gratitude. Understanding what God has done for us leads to gratitude and it's an important part of what it means to be a Christian in the world today. Okay, verses 18 through 20. Uh, this will be the, the end of the chapter. I am giving you these instructions, Timothy, my child in accordance with the prophecies made earlier about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight. Having faith in a good conscience, by rejecting conscience, certain persons have suffered shipwreck in the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have turned over to Satan, so that they may learn not to blaspheme. Hymenaeus, I think, is how you pronounce that. I don't know. Who I I have turned over to Satan. What? We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Fight the good fight. Timothy, fight the good fight. Is life a fight? Is life a battle? Absolutely. Life Life is a struggle. Let's call it that, a struggle. Life is a struggle. Remain faithful in the struggle. Work hard in the struggle. Keep the good faith through the struggle. Embrace and lean in. To the struggle with faith and good conscience. Fight the good fight. Embrace the struggle. Embr- I mean, there's a lot of people struggling in life right now. There's a lot of people struggling against one another right now. But why? What motivates us to struggle? What are we struggling for? Are we struggling for politics? Are we struggling for selfish ambition? Are we struggling for faith? Are we struggling for a world that reflects the kingdom of God? Fight the good fight. With faith and good conscience. Live what you believe. Live what you preach is what Paul's saying to Timothy. But for those of you who aren't preachers, live what you believe. Make it, make it important. Unlike Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've turned over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. So why, why so harsh? Why so harsh? Handed them over to Satan. Well, so they had taken a false teaching and were using the words of Jesus to justify their false teaching, right? They were, they were living life according to a false teaching, and they were using the words of Jesus to justify it. That is what Paul cannot stand, is if you're going to take Jesus, you can't take a little part. You got to take all of it. You got to be consistent with with what you're doing, consistent with your faith, consistent with what it means to follow Jesus and who Jesus is. Don't say, I'm going to take a little bit of Jesus, and then I'm going to bring in a little bit of the, the way I want it to be, and that's going to be the way that I'm going to live, and I'm going to lead others in that way. No, 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 no. That's the most dangerous thing you can do, right? Because you can speak with power and persuasiveness because you have a little bit of Jesus in what you're saying, but most of all, you're talking about what you want, yeah, your own agenda. You know, I'm taking Jesus and I'm letting Jesus be on my team and on my agenda, and Jesus is going to support me, and others will believe you. And so that's why he's so harsh. You know, if you're going to proclaim Jesus, you need to proclaim the Jesus of the Bible. You need to to proclaim the words that Jesus spoke, and you need to your theology needs to be tight and good and sound, right? And so he said, "I'm handing them over to Satan." Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to hand? Someone over to Satan. It may have meant that he excommunicated them and barred them on the, out of the church. You're out of the church, right? You're out of the community. You're not allowed to come back. You're not allowed to come back and, and to influence these people. You're just not allowed. Or, or and this is 1 Corinthians 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 5. Paul writes, of a man that was found guilty of the sin of incest. This is what he writes. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So what does that mean? It means that Paul wanted something bad to happen to these two guys, wanted something, some sort of pain to be inflicted on these two guys, not out of vengeance, but out of purification discipline to purge the evil out of them, to cure them of their sinfulness, to help them to see the error of their ways, to help them to get back on the right track so that they may be saved on the day of the Lord handing them over to Satan for purification uh, that's a weird way to say something like that. And it's weird for us to say that Paul wanted something bad to happen to them. I don't know, but I mean, that's kind of what first Corinthians five, five says. So uh, my guess is that's kind of what Paul means here in first Timothy chapter one, but I don't know. Um, it's certainly not something I'm ever going to do is say that I've handed them over to Satan. So who knows? So that's chapter one. We will continue with chapter two next Wednesday, ten thirty. Uh, if you're just new to the, uh, to, to the, podcast here today we're glad that you've joined us you can go back there's at the grace abides podcast no shortage of questions podcast you can find all kinds of uh lessons that we've done over the past year we just finished romans and we've done several others so uh you're more than welcome to listen to those at any time and for those of you joining me live today on facebook so good to see all of you and hope you all are having a great day okay so we'll stop there and we'll close with a word of prayer uh, good and gracious God, we thank you for your servants throughout history who have been there uh, to proclaim the, 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 the true message of the gospel, to fight the good fight, who have handed the faith down from generation to generation. We pray that you strengthen us to fight the good fight, to struggle, uh, to lean into the struggles uh, with faith and good conscience, and to proclaim your, your love and grace for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great day. Take good care of yourselves, and we will see you next Wednesday.